This is Your Morning Basket, where we help you bring truth, goodness, and beauty to your homeschool day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of Your Morning Basket. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this week we have a great show for you guys. I'm interviewing Angela Board. She is a mom of eight with one on the way, so soon to be nine, and she has been homeschooling her children from the very beginning. They're first just graduated from high school this past summer, and she has been doing morning time in her home for 10 years. Now, her children range in age at the time of the interview from 18 all the way down to two. So Angela and I are going to be chatting a lot about how to do morning time with a very wide span of age ranges. And we're also going to be talking a lot about how to do morning time with a lot of little guys underfoot. And I know this is something that you guys have been wanting to hear. And I'm just super excited to bring you this interview. So, hey, let's get on with the program. I often hear questions about how to do morning time when you have many kids spanning a wide range of ages or when there is a big age gap between your kids. Angela Board is just the person to help us figure out some answers to those questions. Angela, who blogs at 3 Plus 2 Homeschooling, is a mom of eight, and they range in age from teens all the way down to little ones, a two-year-old. And she's here today to share some of her insights about morning time with a large family. Angela, welcome to the program. Hi, Pam. I'm glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I have been a fan of yours for a number of years now. You're one of my mama heroes. (laughs) That's kind of funny. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, I'm happy you're here to talk to us about morning time. I've loved watching your family through the years on your blog and seeing all of the wonderful things you do in kind of your relaxed classical style of homeschooling. Well, tell me a little bit about your kids and their ages and your family. Okay. I have eight and we have, we actually have one on the way. We're expecting in early February. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. And my oldest is 18. He's actually, we're going to take him to college in about a week and a half. So he's going to be out of the house, which is kind of strange, you know. Because we've homeschooled all the way through. And then next is my only girl. I have seven boys and uh, one girl. And my one girl is 16. And there's a gap. And then then the boys are kind of a lot closer than it's the end. And then I have a 12-year-old. I have nine-year-old twins. I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. Okay. So definitely got that wide age range covered. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a big span there. Lots of energetic and wiggly boys as well, which is an added bonus to this conversation about doing morning time. How long have you been doing morning time and what inspired you to start doing it with your children? I think about 10 years, at least, as a kind of, a you know, a, a more formal time. But really, I think it, the seeds of it kind of started a little bit earlier. And one of the things that the first thing that kind of started us on this this time in the morning where we would kind of get together is when my oldest two were little and we were just started homeschooling. And at that time I was born on the cradle Catholic, but I had kind of left the church for a while. And at the time when we started homeschooling, I started to come back into the church and I was concerned that our Bible reading, which I wanted to do with the kids 
kind of got squeezed out because at that time, I don't know, it was kind of the accepted practice that you would get up and you would start your day with like math. You would start your day with math. That was like the accepted thing, you know, and then after that you would do some like, you know, your handwriting or whatever, and you would do your lessons in the morning and then you would maybe have your read alouds in the afternoon. And then, but I found that, you know, by afternoon I was tired and I wasn't, the things that were not happening were things that were important to me. Like I wanted to read to the kids from a story Bible, but those things were kind of getting pushed aside. And so I thought if I did it first, then I wouldn't forget. So we would read from the story Bible. And over the years, I kind of started adding things. And it really kind of started as a fuller time when I was pregnant with twins. And we had just moved from St. Louis to upstate New York. And we were in a rented house on a on a dairy farm, and which actually sounds very romantic, but it wasn't. It smelled like cows. <laughs> and um, it was... Uh, it was an interesting experience, and, and I needed to spend a lot of time on the couch at that point. And so what I would do is is I would sit down on the couch, and I would read our Bible. And that time I only had three. I had I had an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old, mm-hmm. and I was pregnant with twins. And then I would, so I would sit on the couch, and I would read the Bible, but then they would often, my two oldest would often get their notebooks or their coloring books and their crayons and markers and stuff. And they would just sit on the floor and they would start coloring and they would be coloring and they would be working and they would be paying attention. And it just kind of seemed they were ready for more, you know, they wanted to hear more. And so we would just start to add more, you know, like I read through that summer, I read through several of the, you know, Laura Ingalls Wilder series. And, um, and then we went to, we took a vacation to Rhode Island and, we read about the seashore, you know, and we read some picture books about the seashore, and we read, like, the one small square book, Seashore, and, you know, and it was just, it was stuff like that. We read Dr. Doolittle that year, and it just sort of stuck, because it was a good way to do things. You know, the kids were race wear, and at first I read over breakfast, but that changed later on. They got older, and we kind of just built on it until a few years ago is when I really decided to get it a little bit more serious, more serious with it. And then it kind of expanded. So this was a very kind of organic beginning to the practice that became morning time in your house. Right, right. It just sort of grew up and it it grew up from, you know, what we needed. And then too, when the twins were born and then I had, you know, twins are twins and it's, they're just, you're just busy like all the time. But then right after the twins, that my next child is, they're only 22 months apart. So he's like the third twin is what we call him. And he kind of, you know, when you're dealing with so many little people and you're thinking, okay, if the day goes totally wrong, what do I want to have done? I want to have felt like some sort of accomplishment with the day, you know? And so we would add things, you know, okay, well, we're going to say our prayers. We're going to read from the Bible. We're going to, you know, maybe do a catechism question. We get that done and then I'll feel better because we'll have done something. And then there's still more time if things aren't like totally self-destructing at that point. You know, we'll read some read lab, maybe some history. If we did that, if we got 45 minutes, and which 45 minutes was a long time at that point, you know, it was good. We didn't do any math or anything like that, but we got a good chunk of something done in our day. Yeah, it sounds like there were lots of wonderful subjects in that short period of time that you got done, and it was kind of a lifeline for you through all this time of little bitty kids. 
It was. And you know what? It still is for the kids. They still, they need that time. It's just something we've done every day. And this summer we haven't sat down because I've been kind of, you know, feeling sick and stuff. So we haven't, and people have been here and there, you know, and it's summertime. So they've kind of been here and there and everywhere. And we haven't, even when we're not reading and we're not doing all this stuff, we usually say our prayers and we, you know, look at the liturgical calendar, like who's the saint, the feast day of the day and stuff like that. And it's like a, a touch point, you know, it's like an anchor in everybody's day. And when it's gone, everybody's just sort of adrift and it can't be gone for too long or the kids will start asking about it. You know, when are we going to do this? When are we going to start again? When are we, are we going to read? Can we do this? And even the teenagers, I think they still, you know, they'll just go automatically and sit down on the couch and like, wait, (laughs) 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 you know, it just becomes like an institution, I guess, in your life. Right. Well, you said a few years ago, you kind of got more intentional with it. So can you tell me a little bit about how it's changed from that point? Well, I would I would say as your children have gotten older, but you still have little ones as well. So what do you mean by started to get more intentional a few years ago? What are the things that you're doing now in morning time? Well, it got more intentional because I had to account for the teenagers. And when we moved from New York to Mississippi, it was a very stressful time. We did that five years ago. We've been in Mississippi for five years. My oldest at that time was like eighth grade age. And the morning time slipped that year. And I didn't read aloud. I don't think, I didn't read aloud in the morning. It got too much to handle with all the, the differences in age. And I had, I was having some health problems after a complicated a recovery from, I had a newborn, my husband's father had a heart attack and he went through surgery and there were a lot of stuff that he was going through. And then we had just moved and it was just, it was, you know, life just seemed like it was too much to handle. And so we went for many months without doing any morning time. And, you know, and then the little kids, because the kids, the twins, when we moved were five, they just turned five and then they had a three-year-old and a newborn. And they were just kind of at each other, you know, like little boys and stuff. So I get I said, this is too hard. I'm not going to do it right now. And it was kind of a miserable time. <laughs> and after a while, I thought, you know, it is worth it. I'm going to put it back in. I think it was like after that, I started, and I, I'm not sure if it was that year or the next, because I started kind of adding things back in like what we would normally do. And then I think other people started posting more on blogs. There was Jen McIntosh's Morning Basket Post, and I started, I read, you know, Cindy Rollins's Morning Time Post, and then she did the 31 Days of Morning Time. Then, see, I read Kendra Fletcher's Circle Time ebooks too. And it seemed like a lot of people were doing a lot of, they were doing more than we were just, you know, it was, it was like a more planned time when you can add more in. And as the kids got older, the older kids got older, I started kind of looking at it as a time when I could have us all do something and I'll be exposed to something that I really wanted them to be exposed to or to talk about or to discuss as a family that they maybe would not be as willing to do independently. Like maybe it just didn't run toward their interests or whatever. I started looking at it as kind of maybe a, I wanted it to be a good use of their time because in high school, teenagers tend to get, they can get really busy. And then 
they can say things like, well, I don't have time for this. I have to, you know, they're taking out my classes. They're, you know, like I have too much Latin homework. I have too much math homework. I have too much of this stuff to do. If I take this much time out, then I'm not going to be able to put it into, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever they have going on. And so what I wanted it to do is I wanted it not to feel extra to them. You know, it wasn't extra really, but I didn't want it to feel extra to them. I wanted to use our time that we had to the fullest. And so I started trying to think a little bit harder about the stuff that I did with everybody. And plus, you know, with the age range, it got a little harder to figure out, okay, well, what do I need to read? Because I didn't, I used to gear it just towards the older kids and the younger kids would kind of want in and out, you know, and they would take part and they would listen to some stuff and some stuff they would listen to was surprising that they would actually sit and listen for. And that's always been the case. But, you know, then I started thinking, well, I'm trying to aim this at more because I started to have as the younger kids got older, you know, they're like officially being homeschooled too. I was like, well, I have to do things with them as well. You know, so it became a little bit, it required a little bit more thought. Let's talk a little bit about some of those challenges of planning and implementing a good morning time with a wide age range of kids. So how do you go about doing this? Is there a certain age group you shoot for or how do you start making those plans? I kind of tend to shoot for the middle because most of the time I think like shooting for that middle school age range, then the the younger kids can still kind of keep up, maybe not the youngest kids, they just kind of, they stay for prayers and we talk about saints and stuff and then they can kind of go, I mean, they can't go anywhere they want, obviously. <laughs> they can have other things to do, you know, but they don't have to pay attention. But the, you know, so the younger elementary kids can kind of follow along and then the older kids, it'll still be decent for them too. But I, you know, I find that there are some things like classic literature just sort of has a wide age range. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's kind of what we look at. We did actually, it surprised me last year, we read Julie Caesar, and I had my eight year olds were actually reading part of it. We read it out loud, you know, so everybody took different parts. And my eight year olds did it, and my 18 year olds did it, and it was, you know, it was kind of fun, stuff like that. So, but then I also look at what my teenagers might need to fill in any gap that they have in their, you know, their high school plan or, you know, whatever. Last year, I realized that we hadn't, they hadn't done any logic and logic was, my husband and I have always thought that logic was an important part of the curriculum because we are kind of, we're kind of relaxed, but we're also, we have kind of more classical ideals, you know, and, and so we wanted them to get that before they got out of the house because we thought it would be helpful to them, but they had never really that down because sometimes that those things seem extra and they get pushed out and they're really not extra you know they're really necessary but because we're not used to thinking of them that way they kind of get pushed to the side and so I decided to use to fill that gap I thought that I could use the blue dorn fallacy detective to fill that gap we could do it and it would cover the age range because it's meant to be used as a family Mm-hmm. And so I sat down, and that was really surprising because everybody loved it, and we had some great conversations. And the kids who actually liked it the most were my twins who were, they turned nine, so they were eight, nine, but they would be roughly third grade, and they would read ahead. <laughs> 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 you know, 
but it was good for the it was good for the teenagers. And now you know we watched like we recently watched presidential debate, and um, the kids are like yelling out stuff like "That's a red herring," and you know. So it was good. Everybody got something out of that, and that's kind of what I aim for and hope for when I'm trying to pick materials. Okay, that's awesome because you took something that you used your morning time to fill in a gap that your older kids had. So, you know, you're definitely gearing it towards a need that you see for your high schoolers, but everybody in the family actually got something out of it. So that's wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about some morning time subjects or practices that lend themselves best to a wide age range of kids. What do you find? You've hinted at the fact that, you know, your Bible and your saints works really well for a very wide age range of kids. But what other subjects work well for you guys? Well, we also do some memory work and we do that. Most of our memory work tends to be Latin when we're using it, you know, being Catholic, we do learn more Latin. So we learn a lot of our prayers in Latin and everybody that's good for everybody. You know, like poetry, I've tried to introduce memorizing poetry, and they, I have never been consistent about doing it, and so we haven't done it that much. But, you know, stuff like that, the memory work, that works well, I think, we, when we do that. We did some Shakespeare last year, too, and, and that was good. Everybody enjoyed that. And then, like I said before, classic literature is good. Like, I knew that my my older kids would enjoy books like Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, but I knew they wouldn't pick them up on their own to read them and you know the dialect in those books is so it's kind of hard and you can edit too when you're reading it so I read it aloud and they became some of everybody's favorite books and it wasn't just you know like the older kids it was the younger kids too like I read it my I have one dyslexic child he's my 12 year old and he reads great now but at the time I think he was about nine or ten and he can read it all so that was terrific because he loves those books and he would never have been able to read anything like that. But it was good because I got to put them on a high school transcript as well. You know, so the literature works, that works really well. If you can find books that, I mean, we read A Christmas Carol, we've read to the age range of the when the teenagers down. And Shakespeare, I have boys so they don't like the comedies much because they're, you know, all about romance. So we have to read tragedies. <laughs> but, um, you know, everybody's a great fan of Macbeth, but Shakespeare works pretty well. And anything you want to learn as a family is good. Like, you know, when we did logic, that was great. That worked really well. So if there's anything that anybody wants to do, like art, we've done art as a family. We didn't do it at morning time, but you could easily, you know, work it in there because the, the kids did, our house is not set up right now to where it's very easy to do a lot of art while I read. And that was a mainstay of our morning time earlier when the kids were younger. We had a table and a couch like right together so I could sit and read. And the, you know, the little guys could run all over me and stuff like that while I read. And anybody who wanted to draw could be at the table drawing because the problem was that when you try to draw, you know, on the floor like they used to and the little guys kind of tend to come up and throw crayons everywhere and walk on your stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's not so great. So now our house isn't set up like that. But art is it's good to do because you can do it. It keeps people's hands busy so Mm -hmm. they can pay attention more. And then you can also you can listen. So it's like, you know, you're 
getting two things done at the same time. We got a block of clay once, and the kids would just work with the clay, and they made this giant, like, world out of the, because it was a huge block of clay, and they would make, like, mushrooms and logs and little things, you know, sticking out of the clay while I read. And I, I got a lot read. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so definitely, it, this is not a situation where all of your children are sitting with their hands folded politely in their laps. They're actually working and doing something as you're reading during morning time. Yeah, no, nobody ever sits politely with their hands folded in their laps. Okay. They're sometimes standing on their heads and, you know, doing everything else. But but they're still listening. Yeah, they usually. <laughs> sometimes, I guess. I don't know. Sometimes you have a problem with the, the younger boys because they kind of, they, you know, sometimes you end up having to separate people. You know, you can't sit next to this person because not that brother because then it's just, you know, it's, it's like being in a classroom. Right. Keep your hands to yourself. Well, you mentioned earlier that your little guys, your youngest ones, would stay for Bible reading and prayer, and then they would wander off, but not too far. So how did you kind of handle that? Did you corral everybody to a single room? Did you have toys there for them to play with? How do you do morning time? And I know you have a two-year-old now when you have so many moving parts, plus, you know, a four-year-old and a two-year-old who are present. Usually when you're all in a place, the little ones want to stay close to you. And especially, I think if I sit down, that's a big draw for them. Because if I sit down, then they're immediately like on top of me for at least part of the time. So that's okay. I mean, but you have to learn how to read and how to talk like over people like crawling on your back and going over your head and, you know, like three people on the rocking chair with you at the time. But, you know, you can do that. They usually spend part of their time like that. And then we read right now, we have all the Duplos and the blocks and stuff are in the room. They're in our family room, and that's where we read and say our prayers. That's where we do our morning time. And so they'll often just sit down and build while we're reading. And sometimes I get out of hand because, you know, they're boys and they can't just build anything quietly. It all has to have, like, explosion noises and stuff, and it gets a little wild sometimes. But, you know, for the most part, that's okay. Or... Just right around the corner, we don't have a dining room, but we have like an eating kitchen with our big table in it. And we have shelves beside the table that has everybody's homeschool stuff in them. But they also, I have some shelves with art stuff that the little guys can use without making a giant mess. So there's like Play-Doh, although Play-Doh can make a giant mess, but usually it's okay. It's an acceptable mess. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then there's crayons and like my two, my two year old right now, he loves to color. He loves drawing crayons and he'll stay there for a surprisingly long time coloring. But not all the boys were like that. That's available to them. They can do that. And then our house is such that their bedroom is not very far away. So if they go into their bedroom to play and there's some more toys in there, there's like a little toy kitchen and stuff like that. If they go into their bedroom to play, I can still hear them. I know what they're doing. Sometimes my five-year-old will go outside, and that's okay. I can see through the window. When we were in New York, when they were younger, we used to have, we did most of our stuff. We would read and do that in the front room, and we had a lot of toys just in that whole big front room. And so they would mostly stay right there. Sometimes they would run back to their room. But again, you can hear what they're doing. Or if they got really quiet, then, you know. Then you know there's trouble. See what they were doing. Right, (laughs) exactly. 
And then if we were reading, we did school, a lot of schoolwork in our dining room there too. And that had, I mean, if it, you know, the, the few months that we could enjoy outside in upstate New York, it had a door to the deck and we fenced in a small area because we have 15 acres in New York and it was a two acre yard and like a 13 acre field. And so we had a busy road in front of us because logging trucks used to go back and forth on that road really fast and it was kind of scary. So we fenced in an area around our deck and we called it the little boy yard and they could go out on the deck and they could play outside and we could still see them through the big window and they were okay back there. You know, they could dig in the dirt, they could, you know, they could dress up, maybe, you know, they would like to dress up and run around with swords and stuff and, and things like that and that would keep them busy so you could get a little bit more time in. It sounds like you've worked with the various layouts of your, your houses and, you know, use the fact that everybody's together to kind of encourage them to stay with you. But then when they've needed to wander a little bit, just being able to either keep your ear or keep your eye on them and letting them wander as they need to. Right. Because if they go too far then you, and you don't know what they're doing, then, you know, that can be bad. <laughs> you can you can end up with some stuff that's not exactly, you know, what, you know it can be dangerous or, or even if your house is pretty childproof, then, you know, you still end up with people dumping stuff out of cabinets or, you know. You sound like you're speaking from experience there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounds like for the most part, all of your kids do morning time together, other than the little guys who might wander away or wander in and out at times. Is there any time where you have your older kids kind of excused from morning time and you carry on with the younger kids? Yeah, because we ran into that. And I actually, that was a problem that I had to figure out how to deal with. When a couple of years ago, we signed my two older kids up for some outside co-op classes and two days a week they would leave the house they had to be there at like 10 o'clock and my mother-in-law actually drove them there which was very helpful but they had to leave at like they left at like 9 15 or 9 30 or something like that and sometimes our morning time does not happen very early and I would try to get it going before that so we could at least pray together and then go but it didn't work because we were we try to get our chores done first in the morning so that they're out of the way. And that's just like cleaning the kitchen, starting the laundry. You know, like my daughter usually folds a basket and puts it away and, you know, just sort of picking everything up that's been kind of strewn around since the kids got up in the morning. And, you know, go and get the dirty laundry, bringing it, that sort of thing. And it just kind of keeps the house moving a little bit better when we do it that way. It was too hard to get all that stuff done in breakfast and then dealing with people who were like, oh, I forgot to do this before I went go to my class, you know, so I have to sit down and do this like immediately because I have to turn it in in an hour. So we weren't getting to morning time a couple of days of the week and I was still trying to do it with everybody and I was kind of a loss. So finally I said, okay, that's fine. I'll have two different versions of morning time and on the days that you guys go to your co-op classes, I'll just focus on the younger boys and we'll just do stuff geared toward them. And on the other days, we'll have stuff geared toward everybody that's maybe weighted a little bit more to the older kids. And that seems to work out pretty well. We had to do that last year too, because they had, they didn't do any outside of the house classes, but they had some online classes that started at like nine o'clock. I want, my goal is to start 
what we're doing at nine o'clock, and a lot of times that doesn't exactly happen. So, you know, but I like to sit down about then. Sitting down earlier is hard for us. We're not really morning people. So having the two versions of morning time really kind of helps solve that problem for you. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes, too, they'll be excused if they they come to me and they say, you know, I have a lot of work to do. And I'll say, okay, that's fine. Just stay for prayers. We'll talk about what you're going to do for the rest of the day, you know, get organized, touch base, and then, then you can go. But what happens when that, in that case, often they would go and they would just go over to the table in the kitchen, you know, the eating kitchen that we have. And I would be in the other room and I would be reading to the boys and they would interject things from over across the way. And, you know, because things would resonate with them. Either they've read through the stuff that I'm reading to the boys before or they read stuff related to it. You know, my oldest son who's going to college now is a big history buff. He's read an enormous amount of history. He would usually interject historical things like, so I'd be reading the story Bible or, you know, Greek myths, like the Laird's Greek myths or whatever, and, and he would interject things while he's doing his Latin. <laughs> so, you know, it's not, a, he's not exactly there, but he's not exactly gone either. <laughs> yeah, they can't get away from it, even if they want to. Right. <laughs> well, kind of funny. speaking of that, what are some elements of morning time that you think are important for teens to continue to participate in, even after maybe they've outgrown some of the other parts? What do you... What do you think are most important for teens, no matter what? Well, you know, since we do our Christian homeschoolers, prayer is for us the most important part because, you know, we all need it to get through the day, and it doesn't matter how old you are. So definitely, I think it's important for everybody to participate in prayer. And then outside of that, I think that I really do try to make the time worthwhile to them. So, you know, it's not something that they think that, oh, it's just something my mom's doing. It's just sort of extra that I'm sitting here to humor her, you know, mm-hmm. because she said I needed to. So I, I really try to do that. I'm not sure I always do that, but I really try to use their time well. And I think in conversations, though, are probably one of the most important parts, because when you have conversations with people ranging from 18 down to, you know, the five-year-old, interject things and the, the teenagers get to if they they know something they get to explain it to somebody younger and that it kind of helps solidify I think what they think and what they know if they know it and then other times you know the boys will help them to would go a little farther in their thinking too because sometimes you know they'll ask why or what about this or I don't understand or, or whatever and, and the teenagers have to go a little bit farther you know the little ones because well the younger boys will they'll challenge things and you know so there's a bit of a it's not really arguing or bickering it's definitely a competitive conversation sometimes but I think that's good for everybody because that helps people to really kind of see what they think Mm -hmm. about you know various things and we do have some meaty conversations you know dealing with theology or politics or history or you know, whatever. The, the kids, they do really think. And I think I think that is something that they would miss out on if I said, okay, you can go ahead and just do your assigned work over here while we're over here doing the other stuff. Because I think that's one of the most important parts. And it also helps kind of solidify your family culture. So, mm-hmm. so that's really, I think that's the most important part. 
Well, okay. So you've told me one of the benefits there to having teens all the way down to little ones in the same morning time through those conversations and the little guys challenging the teens to kind of cement why they believe what they believe. Are there other benefits to having a wide range of ages from teens to toddlers? Well, I think it benefits the little guys, too, because, you know, they're hearing stuff that they would not normally, sometimes, that they would not normally, you would not read aloud to them. You know, if it was, if you were just reading aloud to the eight-year-old, you probably wouldn't do something like uh, the fallacy detective, which I used last year with everybody, because in most recommendations, if you look for, like, logic recommendations, they don't recommend that and like the well-trained mind, you know, they, they're saying like age 12 or 13. And, you know, even the, um, I think in the book, the recommendation is for like ages 11 and older. But in my experience, the younger kids really got into it. They enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, I don't know that every younger kid would, but my kids did. And things like that would not happen if you had everybody separated. So, And they pick up, you know, they pick up a lot. Even if you don't think that they're listening, they really are. They're listening to more than you think they are. And they just sort of soak all this stuff up. It kind of, you know, it, and it kind of, I think it kind of builds a, like I said before, it kind of builds a culture, too. You have mm-hmm. this family culture of shared works and shared practices. I think that Cindy Rollins talks about that a lot. Right. Um, that you have that, that no other family has and that, that you share and it kind of makes everybody feel like they belong together. It's, I don't know. I've, I would not give it up again. I think that even though it's hard sometimes, they try to keep everybody gathered together. You know, sometimes it feels really difficult because you're trying to keep little guys occupied and big kids interested and everybody in the middle, you know, and you're trying to referee conversations and stuff that can kind of go off the deep end at times. And it does feel hard just to kind of coordinate everything. But, you know, I think it's worth it. Right. Sounds like it is. Well, if there's a mom out there who has a wide range of ages with her children, and she's never done morning time before, and she's maybe listening to us and doing a little reading about it and thinking, I think I would like to do this, but I'm scared to death. (laughs) Do you have any tips for her for starting out? Well, the first thing I would tell her is, you know, don't be scared. It's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect, you know, because none of this is perfect. You know, I don't know. It seems like when you write it on a blog or you talk about it and you talk about all the nice things that you do and and stuff like that, it makes it sound like things are going, happening in very orderly fashion from, you know, you're making all these transitions from one thing to the next and everybody's sitting around and listening to you and you're always having these great conversations and stuff. And that's not always the case. You know, our morning time is very loud and it can, you know, sometimes I end up having to, it's almost yell to be heard. And then, and then, um, you know, you kind of have to rein that back in. And, and then there are ones that totally disintegrate when, you know, you have to go change a blowout diaper and you try to get the other kids to read. Like if you have readers with a wide range of ages, you usually have somebody who can read and they can kind of keep up with that. It's, Sometimes it doesn't happen. And sometimes you have arguments instead of conversations and, you know, or, or whatever. Things break down. You have to go to the doctor. People get sick. So it doesn't have to be perfect. Just It just matters that you, you're just trying to do it. And, and it builds up over time. But I would, when, you get, when you're starting out, I don't know. I would just think most about the things that get squeezed out of the day that you want to make sure you're doing. And you're kind of sad to see squeezed out of the day. And I would just focus on those first. I think that's one of the keys. Maybe not a whole lot of things because you can see 
online. Some people have really long morning times. Ours is not that long. Ours is an average of about 45 minutes. Sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes if it's really good, it goes longer. But we don't do two-hour morning times. You know, it's we have short attention spans in some cases. So we just kind of shoot for what we can get done before everybody kind of totally dissolves. You know, I think the important thing is just to not be, not think that you have to do things perfectly, that you have to get to everything that you planned out every day, you know, that you have to read a certain number of pages every day. And if you don't, that you're failing at it because that's not the case. I think that's some great advice. So kind of embrace the messy imperfections of it all, but and just keep putting one foot in front of the other every day. Right. That and that's I think that more than anything, it's just the consistency. It's just the little things that build up over time that make the big difference. It's not perfection. It's not it's not doing ticking off a certain number of things that you've read. You know, it's not trying to jam like poetry and art and music and Shakespeare and everything into it that that you can. It's doing what you think is important in your family, the stuff that your family would enjoy and that you don't want them to miss and not worry about doing too much or too little. Right. Well, Angela, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom with us. This was wonderful to get a peek inside your morning time, the craziness of it all, and to know that it it still works really well for you and it's something you wouldn't give up. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed, I enjoyed talking about it. It's been, you know, one of the best things that we've ever done. So. I would just encourage everybody who wanted to try it to give it a shot. Thanks so much. For your basket bonus this week, we are calling out the big guns. We have asked some of our favorite homeschooling moms who do morning time, moms who have either large families or a wide range of ages, for some of their best morning time tips. How do they get it all done? And they've shared them with us. So we have a wonderful download for you guys to go and grab. You can head over to edsnapshots.com forward slash YMB5 to download your basket bonus of advice for this episode. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Angela Board all about her morning time. And if you would like to get links to any of the resources that Angela and I chatted about on today's show, you can go to the show notes for today's episode. There you can also find a link and instructions for how to leave a review on iTunes for the Your Morning Basket podcast. And for those of you who have already left a review, we thank you so very much for taking the time to do that. We really appreciate it. The show notes for this episode are at edsnapshots.com forward slash YMB5. And hey, if you liked this Homeschool Mom interview today, I want to let you know about my other podcast. You might not be aware that I do two podcasts. The other one is the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. You can find that one on iTunes as well. And on every Homeschool Snapshots podcast, I interview a homeschooling mom about what her homeschooling day is like. They're really short. They're between 20 and 30 minutes, and they're a lot of fun. So go check it out. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another Your Morning Basket. And until then, we encourage you to keep seeking truth, goodness, and beauty in your homeschool day. 